What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I know some of you guys probably thought we'd never come back, but we appreciate your patience during this little hiatus. We're back at it, and in this episode, Philip and I cover some ground on recapping the last two months of classes, our travels, and quite a bit of technical discussion on lessons learned from shooting competitions and teaching. We're stoked to be back with you guys, and we've got some great stuff coming your way with interesting topics and guests on the schedule. Enjoy the episode, and you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Shit, it's been some time. We've had a lot of shit going on. I think, I mean, I think that we just roll into it, you know? There's no sense that I think these guys know we're busy. Everyone that's hopefully followed us on social media see that we're still producing content. We're still active, whether it be teaching classes or shooting competitions. Um, it's just one of those things that uh, the last couple of months with concurrent courses, uh, it's just hard for both of us to, to sit down. And um, now that... Uh, we've got a couple weeks off our schedules with nothing. Uh, this definitely, um, we should be able to pump out, um, you know, and catch up. Uh, but I mean, even May, you know, uh, looking into May, it's second week of May. Well, yeah, second week of May, we've got class. I think you've got class as well in Yakima, and then we mm-hmm. roll into MSTOA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing a bear hunt in between those two. Yep. In Montana. Yep. So. Yeah, it's everybody, you know, you talk to people, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. That's like the buzzword, right? But I don't know if you're, if you're enjoying, if you're enjoying the ride while you're, while you're on it, is it really busy or are you just, I guess it's just your perspective, right? How we look at things and go, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm doing something every single day, but I'm doing something that I really enjoy to do. So it's just, uh. It's just time. Yeah, you know, and 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 taking a break from podcasts, I think, just help make it seem that like, hey, we're only going to post something if we've got something to say, rather than continuing to you know bore you guys to death with current events and and stuff like that. And honestly, for the last two months, I, I think. You know, um, looking at what we've been doing and uh, really a lot of debrief points for uh, what we've seen in class between California, Yakima, um, and, uh, you know, everything that's kind of going on in the world, kind of how it's affected people and and um, kind of their way of thinking, I think, is, is all good things to, to talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, I think uh, earlier today we got a text in regards to having another uh, a special guest with Owen um, mm-hmm. to talk about everything that's going on in Ukraine. I think that's yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, going to be super a super rad podcast. Um, I, I got triggered today uh, right. uh, in regards to a social media post. Uh, it wasn't even a social media post. It was a uh, it was a comment um, that somebody left on uh your swipe um, oh yeah feed you know uh talking about pinning the trigger yeah I guess it's good a, topic a good, good thing to start yeah good topic yeah. to talk you know um uh so like pinning the trigger on a bolt gun um versus like uh a carbine platform ar-10 platform i mean obviously they're the same thing uh or even a pistol right uh and again i'm not i'm not uh, certified to teach pistol, I can uh, I understand the basic fundamentals and to properly uh, use a pistol. Uh, but 
um, I'm not, I'm the last person that you would want to take for a, a pistol class, right? Um, <laughs> we should however, do that. Do know, let's do that. Let's let's book a pistol class. You and me, and we'll we go should. shoot. Yeah, yeah. We'll go shoot yeah. pistols for a weekend. Man, there's a couple of I things that are like at the top of my list that I just want to go. Um, that I'd lo- yeah. love to go shoot with. I would love to to redo like a basic class, right? I got my basic class, my basic pistol class in the Marine Corps. Um, but I would I would love to maybe do a, a basic pistol class with Duffy, right? And then ask yes. Duffy who or or I mean, like you said, you know, then take that and, and progress into uh, other instructors and and I think it'd be cool to see how we can um, blend the instruction and curriculum from you know how their progression is as you know um, higher end pistol shooters to um, to uh, to our community, but. But yeah, you know, he was talking about pinning the trigger and then and then he started bringing up like fucking war stories and, you know, yeah. like <laughs> pinning the triggers like doesn't work on a two-way street. It's like, all right, dude, you're, you're that guy. He's like, you know, he's talking the difference between stuff on practice score. And, and the very first thing that, that, that came to mind was this is a guy that goes to a precision shooting match or even any competitive shooting match. I, I don't know what his background is. But probably shows up, gets his ass handed to him by a bunch of hobbyists and enthusiasts, and never shows up again. Yeah. And then that's his claim to fame is like, oh, this is unrealistic because this is not what I did in combat. Yeah, that's that's um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's different now that I think um, I can witness that behavior as pretty much what I've been taught as of lately. That's a shadow projection from that individual. Like that is an insecurity within that person that they feel uh, virtuous enough that they need to um, make their opinion known. And what it really is, is there's all different kinds of things, uh, psychology that's built into it as to the reasons why they do it. But it doesn't, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you can see it and then you can witness the fact that you're like, yeah, you know what? That pissed me off. That that's a, that that's, that's triggering to me. And I'm noticing that I'm having a reaction from it. That's all a trigger is. It's just a reaction from witnessing some sort of stimulus. And we're like, Hmm. Okay. I kind of feel like I should be pissed off about that. Yep. I'm pissed off about that. So now what am I going to do about it? So that's where the critical moment is. It's not the fact that you did get pissed off at it. It's what are you now going to do with that? Um, and I think you you made a good you made a good you made a good uh, response. And and I also responded as well because it irritated me. But I can also see that that person is um, is coming at it from a perspective that has not been uh, broadened yet. I guess you could call it right. It's still a very narrow minded way of thinking. And anytime you see those parts of a phrase in or, or parts of a comment that have those phrases in there, you know, automatically like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother to like, I shouldn't, I should keep this pretty contrite because you have to ask yourself when you decide to get into a discussion with somebody, does this person have the ability to understand what I'm going to, what I'm going to talk about, right? Yeah. Do they even have the ability to, to step outside their own perspective um, towards the 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 zone of dif- discomfort to truly you have to let go of your perspective to see another perspective and that's yeah. fucking terrifying to some people it's 
insanely terrifying. And that's the resistance that, that we, that we see with defensiveness. When the defensiveness comes up, that's the resistance of, Oh, I fucking know, but I'm still going to be defensive about it because I don't want to let it go. And so you got to look, I guess I looked at that, like what you said was fantastic. It was just like, look, um, it doesn't, I mean, I, you basically said, I'm going to pull it up. I just want to read it because it's, it's important that we recognize what exactly it is that we're talking about. So, um, uh, so agree, agree and disagree. Um, you know, you're saying, you know what, we're not on the battlefield and for, people building, uh, fundamentals, it's important for them to incorporate this into their, uh, into their process. And that's absolutely correct. Um, putting the bullet exactly where you want and need it to a time and place for each technique, but more times than not novice and beginning shooters throw off their shot because of slapping the trigger than understanding pulling back in a straight line. Absolutely appropriate. We have the background and the history to be able to witness literally at this point, thousands of people trying to manipulate a trigger skillfully. You know, you, you've seen that and you've tried to, you've tried to communicate, how do we do that? Right. So you know what you're talking about. Um, and you know, you're right as they progress as shooters and they become more competent in the trigger press, it doesn't affect their sight picture. And, uh, pinning the trigger then becomes, a sh- it's not that you're not doing it. It just becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. Yes, that's, I guess that's a great, that's a great, um, it's not that you're not doing it, but it, it, it's shorter and shorter, much like you were talking last night about the difference between waiting on a slow six millimeter bullet versus a super fast six millimeter bullet. And you have a great point in that, in that statement. So, oh, for those of you guys like to refer the, what we were just talking about was a conversation that we had last night in our um, a live question and answer session for modern day riflemen. And, and we, it, Philip brought up some pretty, pretty good points. So go check out, uh, well, go check it out. Essentially what I was talking about is that the, the BRA is too slow for me to process. Uh, I've shot it this year with 1108 tips at 2765, about 2800. And, you know, for the longer pokes, 600 yards plus, uh, I just don't like the, the time of flight that it takes to get there. You know, in terms of pro- trying to process that information, um, and, and and again, I, I think uh, there, I'm a big fan of the uh, BRA cartridge in terms of ease of loading, barrel life, um, consistency. Uh, however, uh, I definitely think that based off of my shooting style, I'm going to gravitate back toward a six Creedmoor and a and a six five Creedmoor for my applications. And again, I think that's just the the, the evolution and process, right? Hey, like I I tried it out. Um, I'm still going to have the cartridge for in the case that again uh, I need something that um, you know uh, as a backup, right? That I know that's going to work. Uh, but I think based off of my shooting style and and what I like, um, I'm going to you know revert back to a fast six Creed or. Um, a heavier bullet with a under a six five cream more. So yeah, yeah, like a one thirty five, like a one thirty five a yeah. tip. Mm-hmm. Or I, I would even try the one fifty threes. I heard the one fifty class bullets bought a six five creed bore is nice. Uh, you know, uh, go push them in like twenty seven hundred. That's kind of what um, some of the top level guys out west are doing. So um, yeah, I think it's uh, everyone, and, and that's one thing that I, I'm 
I at least gave it a shot, right? I gave mm-hmm. it a shot of like, okay, hey, I'm going to play the game. This is what the guys are doing. They're running BR variants uh, or top uh, top level competitors are doing. They're running BR variants. They're very successful at it. But it's like, all right, um, I feel like I can just be as, just as successful going back to a six creed uh, or a six five um, creed more. Um, so that's yeah. just, yeah. You got good yeah. points. You absolutely have good points. Um, and the, and the fact that the fact that we now have such a plethora of bullets to choose from to allow us to make these decisions is even, is even cooler, right? Because we have a very wide selection of bullet weights for each of those, uh, calibers and cartridges you mentioned, and you can choose to run that, uh, that cartridge, however you choose to fit your need pretty much based upon, yeah, you know what, we could, we could run a six BR, um, with smaller bullets a lot faster, um, and have super minimal recoil, or I can jump up to all the way into 150 class bullet with a six, five Creedmoor and get uh, a tremendous amount of wind resistant performance out of it. You know, um, there's all different kinds of ways that you can skin that ballistics cat, which I, I find that stuff super fascinating. And, and it usually ends up being really good lunchtime conversations at class when people are just like, so like, why would you choose that bullet? It's like, all right, cool. Let's run the numbers. Let's figure it out. Let's see. Let's see what the lag time is. Let's see what the total time flight is. Let's see what all these numbers are. Well, yeah, that's a great point. You know, and and again, I love talking and, and talking from experience, you know, um, one of those things of like, don't knock it till you try it sure. type, uh, type stuff. And, um, those are great lunchtime questions, right? Uh, guys that, you know, cause we're big advocates of, of, uh, competitive shooting. Right? And, uh, as I think that gives off in our, in our courses. And so when we start, um, going through the curriculum, you'll see that there are kind of, um, competition esque. Uh, unless you're going to like a competition dedicated class from us, like our intro class or our advanced uh, uh, precision class, that's just focused on riflemen. Um, we still have a, a little bit of hints of competition shooting in there, and for a lot of the students that haven't shot a competition, they enjoy it, right? And then they start asking, like, "Oh, well, what are what would you use for competition if you if so and so or if I were to get into it?" Uh, so those are always great. Uh, like you said, lunchtime conversations, diving into bullet selection, diving into uh, barrel life, you know, um, just stuff that is, again, um, outside of the curriculum that, that uh, students can, can yeah. ask. And, and one thing I wanted to ask you was uh, how did you like uh, the BRA performance when you shot that, that uh, match that you won? Yeah, I really liked it, man. I um... – I can see very, very, I can see where your merit is coming like that 600 yards and in, um, because it does allow you to recover so much faster and see so much more information that that's exactly what it is. Like you, even the difference between shooting a fast six creed more versus that it's noticeable inside 600 yards. Um, so I enjoyed it just because you can see everything like you can pretty much see everything happening in real time and it's really cool to witness that and and be able to be and be able to be confident okay so the the thing that i noticed was if i called a good shot and i saw the apex of the trace at the like directly over the target i was moving 
because I already knew that it was going to hit, right? Because my, I called my shot where I wanted it to, and I saw the bullet, the last known position at apex directly over, it's not going to miss. That's 60% of the way there. So it's- yeah, but you're abandoning the shot, essentially. Yeah, I'm just, because yeah, I yeah. know it's going to hit, because I called, yeah, yeah. I, call, yeah. I, made, I called the shot center, um, and that's all happening, and I like that. I think that's a this cool is part of the This game. is happening in milliseconds, This guys, is happening- right? So at those ranges, that's like, well, a a six BR. Um, it's usually about 0.3 seconds for the the thing is, is I'm people. To, are, I'm about to look it up right now. Yeah, it's like 0.3 like seconds. At 600 yards with like a BRA, right? Whether it be a 108, you were shooting 108s. Yeah. 108s at 27 so say, at 20, 2760. Oh yeah, so uh, at 600 yards, your time of flight is 0.8 seconds, 0.77. Yeah, so if you think about that for a second, guys, like I am, I can also with that six br. <laughs> let me see. This is interesting. I think this is fucking great. Um, so at 100 yards, my time of flight is 0.1. 200, it's 0.2. 300.3. 400.47 um so i can essentially get all of that information processed in in basically a half a second and so that's a great that's a great point to kind of bring it back to that conversation with the the, the gentleman who was posting on um the post shot process so you can't shoot faster than your sights will allow you Period. End of story. That holds true whether you're shooting a handgun, a carbine with a red dot, or a bolt gun with a reticle. You cannot shoot faster than the sights let you. I mean, you can shoot, but you're not going to hit what you shoot at. And so um, that's where the saying you can't miss fast enough to hit comes from. So sure, yeah, I mean, I could reset my, like if I was shooting a gas gun, I could reset my trigger um, in the process of recoil. But that's also extremely, I've, I've seen people bump fire guns that way. And that's, you know, for on the, on the law enforcement side of the house, that's 100% unacceptable. Um, I, I, I asked a gentleman to go home one day at a course because he bump fired his gun, which means that he's, he is trying to reset the trigger too fast and he's not managing recoil well enough to do so. And the gun is bumping back in his hand and it's causing it to fire a second time. So I am more of the camp that the reset or the pinning, like you stated, is like, hey, I'm doing it every single time and it's not costing me um, any time whatsoever. Like I don't feel as though I'm being limited in my ability to shoot quickly because I'm pinning the trigger to the rear. You and I both do it definitively and we don't let go of it until we've seen what we need to see. And it's okay. It's time to move. It's time to work the bolt, because I can't shoot any any more accurately than that. You know, does that make sense? Like I can't shoot any yeah. more accurately. I have to see what just happened in order for me to shoot at it again accurately. So, resetting the trigger in the fa- in the process of recoil is more, um, way more applicable in a in a CQB environment, in a close quarters battle environment where acceptable sight picture is much larger 
and your room and your margin for error is much larger. And we're in a close quarters environment and I have to put bullets into this individual to get them to stop doing what they're doing right now. So, and for us as precision shooters, we want the same thing, but it takes longer because the target is farther away and our aiming process has to be so much more precise. Exactly. And and I think that's essentially, you know, what I was trying to reiterate is that, hey, for precision shooting, the goal, the objective is to put that bullet exactly where you want it, you know, Mm -hmm. not like, oh, I've got this room for error of like, I just got to hit a man sized target to put effects downrange. Like, no, that the, the point of having a precision rifle is to put that bullet exactly where it needs to go. Um, and so, yeah, off. Um, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's great to, it, and I tried to look at it from his perspective of like, okay, well, uh, I understand where he's coming from, but he even after that thread, um, he even talked about, he's like, I even teach my, you know, newer shooters, you know, th- th- to pin it, but then let them know to abandon that once they get to a certain point. So you do agree with, for a, a basic fundamental shooter, as you're teaching the basic fundamentals that yeah. pinning the trigger is a core concept we all must learn and go through. Sure. Yeah. Just and like, who- just like, uh, the shot, sh- the shot surprising you, right? Like sure. I know there's a, there's going to be a lot of people that, that get triggered about this and I see it all the time. Oh, the shot surprising you is technically an ND. Well, in theory it is, but when you, when you think about the psychology of somebody that is getting ready to pull a trigger, right? And when they see that reticle dancing all over and they're trying to connect it to where they are intending to place it, which is center of the target, what you see a lot of them do is try to slap or just crush that trigger, right? When their reticle crosses mm-hmm. their aim point, right? And, and not understanding that that's going to have a effect of pulling that shot off target versus just understanding that they, no matter what, they're going to have a wobble zone unless they're literally not touching that gun. They're going to have a wobble zone. How big is that wobble zone? It's going to dependent be dependent for every shooter. But the idea is to trust the wobble zone and understand that, Hey, if my wobble zone is within my intended point of aim, I'm going to hit somewhere within that area. So I just, I just had a thought that's dude, that's perfect. Um, uh, how to track that data, <clears throat> right? With um, how to how do you actually like quantify y- when you when you make that motion with your finger? What does that actually? What does the sight picture look like for that person in that moment? And it it's going to be cool because I'm going to do this. I'm going to put trigger cams on students' guns that that display um, issues with trigger control, whether crushing or slapping. Um, or improper follow through and just see what their sight picture looks like videotape their finger right and then you can you know you can do a side by side comparison with trigger cam footage and the and the and the the close up on the trigger finger and be like okay your sights were doing this craziness over here and then you actuated the trigger utilizing this this method right so see if you could correlate trigger control errors to a common sight picture I guess that would be kind of yeah, cool to that, see. That, yeah. Yep. Yep. 
That's a um, that's a good way to put it. And and honestly, uh, I don't know if I talked to you about this. I think I I brought it up in the movers class while you were teaching uh, an in person class. Uh, but Clay out here, he said that he was just doing some testing the other uh, week, and he did a drill where he was shooting groups at 100 yards, and he made the center of his wobble zone his intended point of aim, right? And so when he trusted his wobble and was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on a good, clean trigger press. This is the best wobble zone I can get. He shot a group, and then he... Uh, experimented to where, all right, what I'm going to do is wherever that wobble zone's at, as it's crossing my intended point of aim, so like the tip of the triangle for our zero targets, mm -hmm. as it's crossing the center aim, I'm going to try to time my shot when it crosses, right, that 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 area. Uh -huh. And he noticed that his groups were a lot tighter when he trusted the wobble versus trying to time the shot. Sure, absolutely. I can totally and I think that's that. exactly what you're talking about in terms of like gathering that that yep. data. And I, I think it'd be really great to put it on a trigger cam again, highlighting both the trigger finger actuation of the trigger finger and what the shooter's uh, acceptable sight picture looks like. Right. That's that's um, that's really good. You could easily do that too. And if you filmed everything in 120, you'd be able to slow everything down and see it in in. In, in slow motion, a nice, clean, slow motion. That'd be kind of cool. So let me ask you this. In your shot process, uh, and I don't like to really use that word. I think more of us is our, our, our sh shoot, what we call our shooter's checklist. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about grounding the rifle, um, uh, building your body position, starting your aiming process, going to your firing controls. What part of that process up until pressing the trigger is actually cognitive thinking where you're like you're using um uh cognitive space in your head of like okay i'm thinking about these things right because a lot of it is obviously subconscious we've been doing it forever um but what are the things that come to mind in regards to like i'm actually thinking about doing this step um good question so for me, it is first and foremost, am I shooting at the right target? Like, like in my brain, I'm double checking when everything's when I'm, when, um, I'm witnessing the sight picture and the sight picture is telling my body what I need to do to refine itself. Right. To like, that's all happening in the background. But when I see the target, the, the cognitive thought or the conscious thought that I have is always, that's the right target. Right. Or target echo or whatever it is that I'm supposed to be starting on. And I check, I check conditions. Like if there's grass down there, I want to make sure the grass is doing the same thing it was before I got to the holding area for the stage start, stuff like that. Those are the only two real things. Everything else is pretty much occurring um, as a result of seeing the stimulus of the reticle movement and going, okay, it's rock solid. Now wind call. So your cognitive thought process starts in the aiming process, yes. essentially. Yeah. Right. So that's a that's a good that's a good point, right? So again, when, I we, think when we break it, down like, shooting, other things well, could come to that, mind I mean, as I think about it. But um, yeah, but yeah. But that's the very first thing that you you, you said was sure. is like what I'm seeing in terms of making sure I'm on the right target and stuff like that. You completely bypass grounding the rifle, building your body position because 
at that point, those two are so subconsciously built into you that it's, it's, I mean, ground the gun, build your gun, build your body behind it. And then immediately look at as a result of that, what does it look like? Yes. As a result of that, what does it look like? It looks like. Yep. And, And then now you're asking yourself because you've, been able to uh, take that load off of your brain, right? Now you're focused on more things like, hey, what are the conditions doing downrange in, in terms of wind versus like, again, a newer shooter, when they go through an intro class or, or, or as they're building their fundamentals, I mean, they're thinking about, okay, I got to ground this gun. Or I mean, usually they try to put it all together, right? That's why we try to separate everything. They're trying to ground their gun, build their body position, sight behind the rifle and get, you know, and then just get their waffle zone, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a, you know, a good way to uh, have these guys or, you know, if you're listening as the audience, ask yourself, like, where are you having to think about your process the most? And if it starts with grounding the rifle you should just build the process just, of grounding your rifle over and over and over again just until there. you're not even thinking about that, right? Where it's just you ground the rifle and then boom, you roll in straight into your body position. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then once you start building those habits of building your body position consistently every single time, regardless of the shooting position, standing, kneeling, sitting, high, low, low standing – then you can start focusing. And, and I, I would say I agree with you the same thing. My cognitive load begins in my aiming process when I'm like, okay, what does my acceptable sight picture look like or my wobble zone look like? What can I do to my body to fix that? Um, and then once I have determined an acceptable sight picture, that triggers me to now start my firing controls, which is always breathing and trigger control. Those are the... if. Uh, anything, those are the two that I'm always cognitively thinking about is making sure that I breathe and not jerk the trigger. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of times where I've accidentally, because I focus on those two things, forgot about adjusting, uh, checking for can't. Mm. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think... Oh geez, um, I might. Yeah, I guess I might have bypassed some stuff that I that I might actually think cognitively because I do remember to, I do remember to look at a level, um, I do remember to look at uh, what the like. I rely on a lot of the dope stuff like as part of the pre-fire check, especially for the first target. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, I guess. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'll pay attention to it. Like maybe I'm not really cautious, consciously thinking about looking at a level. I don't know. I gotta, I'll do that next time. I I think you know when it when it comes to like a single target engagement, right? Let's say we're talking unknown distance. You got a range finder in your hand. You built your you built your or you've identified your target, right? There's all thinking there because you got to find your target. You got to range it. Figure out your dope, right? Um, but then let's – I guess I'm talking more or less like once you've established a uh, firing solution to the target, that's essentially where your firing position gets built, right? 
because that's mm-hmm. where grounding the rifle begins and stuff like that. And I, and I definitely know we take that for granted shooting PRS style competitions because all that information is given to you versus like the NRL hunter or like team matches or sniper matches, you know, you're required to figure out the distance yourself. And that's why those specific matches add a little layer of complexity yeah. uh, is because now you're really, um, overloading and being task saturated mm-hmm. with, uh, doing so many things. Um, so it's, that's actually, that's a great point. A lot of the, a lot of the students in the movers class were, were making statements of there is a lot to process to visually process. And one of the students in the class, um, longtime customer of ours, um, been with me from like the the days of Central Cascade Precision. His name's John Little, and he's a former um, former airline pilot. And as the, the latter part of his career, he was a he was an instructor in like their qualification program for new pilots. So he's like so accustomed to the he's so accustomed to the workload that he's able to be a teacher of it. And not only is he having to manage a a trainee or a student but he's also having to make sure that he is ahead of the airplane if at any point in time he has to take control of it because the student has failed to, to execute some part of the checklist, right? So um, he even commented, he was just like, there is a lot to visually tend to when you're trying to um, engage a moving target for the first couple times. You know, like a lot of these people had never shot a mover before that showed up. They were like, I've never shot a moving target before ever. And then a couple of people have said, yeah, I shot them at matches and I didn't do really well. And I see this as an opportunity to, to kind of, um, to build my skills, so to speak, or at least understand a really good baseline, even though there's going to be a big gap in between the next time I shoot a moving target. So they all stated that the, the amount of visual information to process shooting a mover, especially when I made, I also forced them to, um, not dial wind and, and hold it and make, and make them do it that way and demonstrate. The cool thing is like, you got the trigger cam, right? You can demonstrate this. You can demonstrate these techniques in real time on the screen. And so they're able to see it. And then it's like, okay, man, now it's time for you to do it. And the visual processing part of it, the more and more advanced I get in this, in this, in this sport, the more and more, um, uh, the visual stimulus aspect of it and the science of observation and, and like the, the processing power of your brain is more and more fascinating to me because it's so applicable. It, it, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's what fascinates me is the, um, uh, the science of communicating information mm. <laughs> essentially. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Sure. That's what it is. It's, it's like, it's, it's like, okay, how, cause I know it in my head, right? It's like, like, I I already know, right, how to break the shot on a moving target, ambush, whatever technique, and uh, applying the basic principles of driving the rifle when your, your, your target's moving. But now how do I relay that information to a shooter that's never shot a moving target before that still doesn't maybe even have a grasp on their basic fundamentals of marksmanship, right? Because mm-hmm. I think what a lot of people, uh, a lot of people don't, everyone has a different um, definition of proficiency. Mm-hmm. 
right? What it means to be proficient and capable behind a rifle. And so what I've found is um, the shooters that, uh, you know, think that they're uh, capable uh, maybe come to a class that they they are is completely way out of their league. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it happens. And so sure. um, what I enjoy is, okay, um, I've got these guys here that know what they're doing. I, I don't have to teach them how to pull a trigger, mm-hmm. right? How do I challenge them but also – make sure that this guy, right, that thought he was proficient is not really proficient with his gun. And how do I get them all on the same page? Yeah. Right. Yeah, because everybody's going to be at a different point and everybody has, like, certain strengths and weaknesses that we have to be... um, We have to be diligent in helping them identify them up up close or up front. So that way it's when... Hopefully because you've brought it into their awareness at that point... Then they'll be like, okay, I need to focus on this. Like a lot of times. And, and I need you to help me help you. <laughs> if if you sure. tell me, if your ego is saying that, no, I'm good, right? Then you're, then I'm assuming that you're good. <laughs> exactly. Right? Unless, unless and, you display a behavior that indicates otherwise. That's right. Unless you're like upfront of like, hey, you know, I did this class. This is the amount of experience that I do have. And it's almost like, you know, you within the first, usually the first couple shooting exercises in all of our curriculums is like a shooting assessment, right? To mm-hmm. see who the people that are gonna to shine and thrive, and the the people that are it's like, okay, these guys require a little bit more attention, which is fine, right? That's that's yep. typical. Um, but then rem- remember, uh, you know, if you're going to a class, be honest about your skill set so that your instructor can help you identify your strengths and weaknesses um, and give you the tools to be successful. Because if you just say, oh, I'm good, right? Uh, I'm going to assume that you're good based off of my definition of proficiency capability until you display a behavior, like you said, uh, (laughs) that says otherwise. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. Absolutely. Um, We've been, I man, we've just been really fortunate to have some, have a good group uh, or good uh, collective of good groups to come through classes where um, people are, I think people understand that they are there to learn. And so they're like, hey, I'm invested in this. And when somebody is invested, personally invested in the pursuit of their own education on whatever it is, um, it's their time off. It's their money that they're spending. It's their desire and intention that got them there in the first place. They're much more apt to listen and then to apply what you're telling them in earnest because they truly do want to get something out of the instruction. And so therefore they are going to listen on, on bated breath to everything that you say, because you're like, Hey man, I'm here to, I'm here to kind of surrender to your process. And so I've done that with taking like pistol classes and stuff. And I personally think that that is the only way that you're going to, that, that you're going to get from that teacher, what it is that they're trying to throw out there is the only way that you're going to be able to do that is to submit to the process. And it's funny that you say that. I, and, and, um, I had another, so last week when I did the, uh, Ohio train up, I had it some 
guys from the SAC team who are experienced competitors, right? And they just got a, a different shooting style. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as we were driving back from the range, we were debriefing on the class because it was the first time they had heard me kind of teach and based off my instruction style and, and uh, shooting style. Um, that was the point that was brought up is, is like, hey, you know, I realized that you have a completely different shooting style than I do. But I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't at least try or attempt what you are uh, advocating um, because then, you know, it doesn't allow, again, room for growth uh, personally, right? Yep. If you don't give yourself like, hey, this is how the instructor is teaching me based off mm-hmm. of his style of shooting and stuff like that that makes him successful. Okay, I'm going to try it. If I don't like it. You can go back to what you're doing, and if as long as you are making consistent hits on target, right? No, I, I just took a note here: it's a submission to the process, um, being open to learning, and being able to unhook from your perspective to see another perspective. Right. Like yeah. I think that's a pretty fair. Like in order truly for you to be like. I really want to hear what that person has to say. You have to let you have to completely let go of your other perspective so that way you don't come at it with any bias, which is not easy. It's not easy to do at all. It's actually quite challenging because you have all the other aspects of your psyche that are going to work against you on that one. Did you have a uh did you have a couple sold out classes for your Yeah, we did. We had two sold out classes um we had a sold out class for three in a row, actually, for our intro. We had a four day intro at the beginning of the month, which was oh yeah, that's right, that's which with, was, uh, with the. You- it was awesome. It was a good class, but it was brutal. Um, those guys got freaking hammered with thirty plus mile an hour winds for three days straight, right in the face. <laughs> it was just like, ah, uh, it's rough to teach in those conditions, as you know, um, and it's tough for students to be able to listen and get everything and it just seems like everything takes longer trying to say this target no 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 no, not that target this target type thing and and it just seems longer and when it's blowing like that but day one was good we had um good good weather it was it almost tipped 70 little breezy sunny big puffy clouds great for a foundational fundamental day right to to get everybody like zeroed and make sure everything all fundamentals drills are done but man, I came out there on, I woke up on, uh, it was that Friday morning and it was like, man, Mr. W- Mr. Wind Machine is r- right on time. And it was already blown like 20 miles an hour by the time I got there and got to the range. And so, yeah, it was good, man, though. They got, they got to shoot in, in conditions that would otherwise make people very nervous about, um, like an unseasoned shooter to go out and, and shoot in, you know, 20 to 30 mile an hour winds is that's, you know, for somebody that hasn't done it before, it's intimidating. You're just like, how the fuck am I actually going to get a bullet to connect with anything in this stuff? And so being able to go out and do it and then, um, do it with intention. I mean, we had really good scores on our eval. Um, the day four eval, I shot a 93 out of a hundred. Um, I shot, I shot in winds of up to 28 miles an hour from like on my part of the eval up from, you know, uh, 
one o'clock to eleven o'clock on that range. That's what it's been. That's what it does. So it can really switch up on you. And honest, like if you're out at if you're out at eight hundred yards, like you can be shooting, and then if you don't see the mirage change or you don't uh, feel it on your body first, you're going to be off the plate by like another six tenths from center on the other side, and you'll just be like, "What just happened? I'm pretty sure I held on the right side of the plate," and it's just when the wind is blowing that fast and it fishtails at, at that kind of rate, big changes occur and, and you got to be able to just roll with the punches. So they learned a lot. That's good. What I like about your range is, um, the amount of steel targets that you do have, um, that adds a layer of complexity to target acquisition. It does. Um, how wide your field of field of fire is. And then also how just open, the uh the terrain is right uh, you, you get typically a lot of clean um clean wind yeah right versus oh, yeah. when you have uh a lot of mountains or a lot of trees especially coming just my recent trip out east right there's a lot of dirty air uh and i got this i coined this term from you obviously uh, but that's a, a perfect way to explain when we're talking about your wind process right like you know, if if uh, if you're not understanding your terrain and location, you're not going to understand how wind is going to flow through that specific area, right? And and, mm-hmm. and your um, reliance of where you're making a wind call changes based off of your terrain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the students in, uh, encountered that on on the range as well um in the intro course i had some i had some open range time and a lot of guys wanted to take pokes at the 1404 yard target out there that we have at the very back of the range and it's it's not it's you know it's up on a hill but the angle is is so of it isn't of any consequence to play a big enough role i think it's like three degrees or something like that in the if you actually measure it um, but it looks like it's up there. And then if you actually drive up to the top and look down, you're like, whoa, dude, I'm, I'm kind of up there. But dudes are shooting at that target and they're at like 1,000, 1,000, 1,100 yards holding, I don't know, mil and a half to two mils for wind on those on that depth of target. But then they step out there to that 12, the we got that almost 1,300 and then that 1,400. They're having to hold like four and a half mils, <laughs> just that difference. And it's because the bullet is so, it's so much higher and it's, and it's in that, it's in that different wind zone and they're having to hold more wind for it. And, and they're like, man, I, like I, I was just at 1100, like how could it possibly be that much different? And then you have them run the numbers and then you're like, Hey, where's your trace at for this shot to this shot? in terms of this distance to that distance. And they're like, whoa, okay, there's the difference. The bullet's way higher. And you're just in a different wind flow. And that happens. Like, that that happens. We experience that flying parachutes all the time. So um, going through the wind layers is, is very common. This past weekend, um, one of the things that uh, was I was able to really see and stand out in regards to wind in reading Mirage is understanding, uh, seeing value. Right. So, you know, that, that, uh, trick, you know, we've, we've taught in our wind class of like, all right. Um, especially in a headwind, like, Hey, uh, adjust your, 
in relation to your target, right? Um, where you can see there's a boil, that's where the wind direction is coming from. And then as mm-hmm. you pan, right, you'll start to see the mirage Bend kind over. of flatten out. Yeah. Exactly. And so we saw that. I saw that this past weekend. It was a specific stage, it was the last stage of the day, actually, where, you know, uh, your wind calls had to be precise because we were shooting prairie dogs and um, uh, the, the targets were kind of scattered throughout the, the whole middle left and right side of the range. So it was good traversing. And I noticed specifically during the whole, all the competitors that shot in front of me, target three, which was on the far left side of the range, um, needed the most wind, right? Oh, okay. Um, and, and shooters were not accounting for that value as they were turning more into a full value wind call, right? Where they were just essentially like, oh, well, you know, target one's at this distance, so it only needs two tenths based off of this value. Target three is, or target two is that distance, you know, then they're stacking wind. Well, when they get to target yeah. three and then now they're changing values completely, now you need to almost run a full value wind call instead of just, right, a, mm-hmm. a quarter value wind call. And that's why most of the shooters in front of me uh, were shooting in front of or downwind of the target. Um, so it was, it was cool to see that and and, uh, and actually put that and apply it uh, because I wrote it down and this goes back to, you know, our, our, uh, our wind process of like, hey, you know, if you have time and opportunity, get your wind call from an actual ballistic solver. Yeah. Right? So I did where I did, I was like, targets one and two, they're both in pretty much the same direction of fire based off the same wind angle. So they're both getting the same exact wind. Mm-hmm. But now when I go to target three, I put in a completely different wind speed and value, which came up with completely different wind calls than the first two. Yeah. Right. And um, I was uh, successful. So, so are, that, that you're talking about the method of, of writing your wind columns on your data sheet right mm-hmm. to ma- like this is how you're managing your data for like a true blind stage that's right yeah and we did that in we did that ad nauseum because the students as soon as that they learned oh this is a thing they were like dude we can holy cow like all i have to do is follow the column right and so for a couple of the couple of the the true blinds i just basically had them go out what's that right? so it's the same um Basically, it's the same wind I'm line, I'm talking to but they're able to that because yeah. our winds were were really inconsistent with speed. So they would have their maximum, they'd have their minimum, and then or their their minimum, average, and max, right? But then a lot of them started to realize that oh, okay, well, I need more columns for different targets on you know on the on the range, and I was like, yes. I'm glad that you guys recognize that because that's exactly how you got to do it. You can't really, um, because in essence, as we slice the pie, right? As we slice the, as we slice the crosswind component pie, all that is, is either increasing the speed of the wind or decreasing the speed of the wind. So, because it's all percentage based, it's, you know, it's, it's a 10 mile an hour blowing from four o'clock. Okay. That's an 8.7 mile an hour full value. And if it's blown from one o'clock, it's a five mile an hour full value. So 
as you pan around the range, all those different targets are just going to be assigned a different wind speed in essence. Yep. That's right. And once they figured that out, they were like, oh, dude, this is money. I'm like, yeah, but you can't get lost. Got to, you, you can't like, dad, them do one where it was a big spread through the whole width of the range, a uh, long bomb panorama. And it was just like, all right, you got three target, three shots on this target. Okay. Get your wind call three, ta- three shots on this target and then keep moving. And then I would have them do it out and then back to make sure that they were truly reading their, their cards and, and apply and processing information and not just going off the last shot or stacking mills. Nice. Yeah. Stacking wins. They got, they got a lot out of it. It was good. Um, I'm still trying to figure out ways to, uh, to teach wind to newer shooters more efficiently because, um, you know, a, a lot of times uh, shooters are just um, newer shooters making a wind call, um, uh, 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 um, paralysis by analysis, right? Um, but that's why I like starting with the wind columns first because it doesn't it you're not thinking as much, right? But mm-hmm. you you still have a process in place of like, hey, I got this from a firing solution. Yep. But then when we start talking about gun number and intuition, right? right um, in order to get to that, you have to you have to start off by actually shooting into conditions that are completely foreign to you, yep. right? Um, where you do have data to back that up of like, hey, an eight mile an hour wind for five hundred yards is point seven, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then shooting that 0.7, doing the back math and be like, okay, well, ballistic calculator says 0.7 is an eight mile an hour crosswind. Mm-hmm. And taking the time to visualize everything that's going on downrange that makes that wind eight miles an hour. Right. That's why right. I, what's that's... the What's the mirage doing? What's the vegetation doing? What does it feel like on the shooter? If, if you have that ability, but typically a lot of it is uh, visualization through the scope um, and stuff like that. I, that's, that's a great point. I think a lot of that has to do um, with understanding the, or at least knowing the raw wind speed. I think knowing raw wind speed is very important because if you know the raw wind speed, you always have something to fall back on, especially if you're changing values across the range, you know, or you had a big spread. So if like, you know, the raw average is 12 miles an hour and you know that I'm starting to get more towards perpendicular, you can start adding wind speed to, you you know, being like, okay, I got to transitions from target four to five. I'm going to be at like 80%. So I need to be holding for an eight mile an hour wind. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. 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 You just got to, I would, you would have to, Yeah. That's a lot of that's a lot of thought process, but it's um I think it's the only way to do it. Unless you're like, you know, unless you're like um the boys uh grant that just like I don't know, like six inches off the edge. What do you think, dude? <laughs> Smash center. You're like, bro, how are you doing that? 
So what I've been doing lately, actually I did this in our course of fire this month, is when you understand gun number, you understand now how to bracket Yes. for better wind calls, right? Yeah. So, you know, what I did was um, as a demonstration, uh, all right, like, hey, I've got a target at 500 yards. I know my gun number is an eight-mile-an-hour gun. Mm-hmm. And so I centered up on target and, uh, you know, I talked through this. I'm like, all right, through my scope right now, Mirage looks like it's right to left. And so then I drug the reticle five tenths over to the right mm-hmm. and I stopped and I walked through. It was like, okay, based off my experience and what I see, I feel like right now, if I press the trigger, this is too much wind. Mm. Right. Yep. So. I think there's wind out there, but not that much. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut this in half for a four mile an hour. Then sent it center punch. Right. But then you could also say that, you know, um, you can see, okay, well, where did my half mil mark land on the piece of steel? Even Mm -hmm. if I was off, where like technically where would I hit? I'd hit light, you know, I'd hit, I'd hit on the, on the left side of the plate. So, yep you're still going to get a hit and you might rock, you, you might rock the plate to the left and it's going to indicate, Oh, yep. okay. It's, it's not, it's actually like a 0.3. Yeah. Yep. So we went um, through a lot of those drills. We went through a lot of those drills. It was so awesome because the dudes got really good at reading plates. Um, we were just like, we would do plate reading. So I, I did the tape turret drill with them and stuff and they would have to, they really enjoyed that and the ability to read the plate. We would shoot the big 18-inch squares just for the purpose of reading the plate, right? Like, it's way easier to read a a big plate, you know, that has a lot of swing to it at first, and then we went down to smaller squares and smaller circles until they got the hang of it. It was was pretty cool. We We had just great conditions for it. One thing I've been uh, doing a lot more of uh, at uh, the last few matches I've been through is spotting with binos, mm-hmm. uh, using binos instead of the spotter. Because typically, you know, yeah. for all of our in-person classes, we're on a spotting scope. It just helps, obviously, for us to to read exactly where they're they're hitting. Um, but with binos, uh, what that has allowed me to do is um, uh, in in. Uh, competitive shooters take for granted being on glass in the staging area. Um, I would agree. Even our, even our students, right? Like everyone wants to like shoot through the course of fire and get, you know, but like a lot of your, a lot of your success is all prep. It's -hmm. all prep work. Yep. Right. And you know, once, once you're, once your, your, your dope is dialed, you got your data you know, all that stuff's on your rifle and you've still got three or four shooters ahead of you. If you're not actively watching the shooter, you should be on glass watching mm-hmm. the conditions right. and, and seeing, you know, how his bullet is reacting to, or he or she's bullets reacting to conditions. Right. Um, you know, because again, typically, especially if you're in a pretty active squad, you're going to know what that shooter's going up to hold with. Mm-hmm. Right. Or when yeah. they come off. Right. And, and, um, again, if, if you don't have, uh, you know, let's say you're shooting a six, five Creedmoor, but the guys in front, the, the guys in your squad is shooting a six BR or whatever, program their ballistics into your rifle, into your ballistic solver. Yeah. It's not right? that hard. It's like, I mean, oh, 
it's not that hard, especially on the Ford off. Yeah, and even I'd be willing to bet that like we run the numbers, even your numbers with um, pretty much anything five hundred and in, six hundred and in, it's all going to be within all, a tenth. It's all the same. It's it's all it's that's right. all the same. And and really, yeah. all we're doing with these different cartridges within caliber classes is just managing recoil. That's all you're doing with the with exactly. cartridge. So the wind, they're all the performance is all the same inside that 600 yard range. So I, we did the exercise too, where I was just like, "Hey, you guys want to know like how you could tell if a shooter's holding off the plate or on the plate by being an observer?" And they were like, "Yes." <laughs> so I was like, "Yeah, check this out." And one by one, they'd come up behind the spotting scope, and I'd take a couple shots, and they're just like, "Whoa, that's pretty cool." And you can tell, like, yeah, I'm going to hold off the plate. I'm going to hold a mill, mill to the right. Now, what's the difference in the trace? Like, you can tell. Yeah. And they're like, whoa. Yeah. That's and that's cool. cool. That's super eye-opening for them. Mm-hmm. It was a good class. Yeah. We had fun. Uh, so what's, uh, uh, what's coming up? So we've got, man, we've got uh, our online subscription service is still kicking, kicking yes. ass. Uh, we didn't. We dropped a mover class this past uh, past past month, which um, uh, helped out, especially for shooters that shot competitions. I got a lot of feedback after that, like, "Hey, shot Alabama, shot MKM, shot KM, whatever." And your mover class really helped out with with uh, shooting movers. So that was some good feedback. And then um, next month, I think you're you're talking uh, Max Point Blank. Yes, holds. Max Point Blank. It's going to be a good one. Um, I got some targets. Um, I decided I wanted to have some targets made for this so that way I could do a really good demonstration on Max Point Blank. Um, I called Seth at DNM here in uh, Tri-Cities in Washington, and I had some long rectangles cut for this demonstration. So it'll be cool. It'll be a good visual. Um, super huge proponent of Max Point Blank, especially you know, from, from witnessing its effectiveness uh, in urban environments and when targets of opportunity present themselves really fast and at relatively close ranges, it's a, it's a really reliable engagement technique. And so uh, for hunters also, just depends on what you do. And um, a lot of this is more for like understanding your trajectory because a lot, it's all connected to external ballistics. Where is your bullet at at this particular distance from your rifle in in time and in space and that's all we're tri- that's all we're figuring out with max point blank so it's going to be a good one it's when you it, when you don't have uh the option to be precise right yep, but exactly uh, you need you need to have effects on target exactly quickly in a, in a quick yep. way so um, um, and then, so I've got a uh, class in Cody, um, mm-hmm. second week of May, uh, spots are opened up for that. Um, so I've got, uh, a buddy coming out to help me out with that class. So we actually bumped up the numbers to, I, I believe 14, nice. um, which was sold out at first. So if you guys are interested in coming to the Cody class, if you're in the area, check that out. Heart Mountain is a world-class venue. I'll tell you, it, it no will joke. not disappoint. Um, so a lot of good wind, wind, wind class out there, and uh, you know uh, Pete has done a really great job with uh, setting up courses of fire for matches out there, and um, we're just super lucky to have that facility to to train sure. on. Um, then we've got MSTOA uh, in May. You've got a bear hunt coming up. Yeah, um, we're gonna go. We're gonna go chase bears in Montana. 
with Luke. Um, I'm pretty excited about that just because um, it's springtime and I love being out in the mountains in the springtime. And um, it's, I'm just going to continue to try to put myself in opportunities to, to, to kill a bear. And we're going to just see how it shakes out. <laughs> That's all I can do. So, you um, bringing the LRM? I am. I'm if it's, bring if it's, the if it's back in time, um, I got it's just shipped, so it should be at the house uh, here pretty quick. Um, oh, I did just, it? Okay. I just had to get it, throw it out, and just to run the bullets the way that I want to run them. And I've got. I'm actually sitting here in the shop. I'm looking at a uh, hundred prep cases right now, waiting for powder and bullets so that I I can break it in and start doing load development. Uh, I did load development. I don't know if I told you I did load development on my first six five PRC cases. Oh yeah, how'd it go? Um, it was good. It was too slow. Was it? I was getting I was getting like six five. It was like sub six five Creedmoor speeds. I was like, oh, all right. I need I need to pump these these numbers up because I just loaded like six rounds because I was like, all right. I just want to make sure the dies are working properly. Uh, like the powder's good. So I did just 60, 56 grains. I let loaded um one forty sevens. What, what power? Uh, behind on a Hornady brass H1000. Okay. And I just did um, just, you know, uh, advertise uh, coal. And uh, I mean, they shot well, right? Um, but they were like, it was like, it's like 2590 or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I was like, dude, I, I'm shooting these 147s faster out of my Creedmoor. And, uh, and I was like, all right, I need to, I need to, uh, and, and, Looking at uh, you know the advertised, they're they're super mild, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but I mean, we so we both know that um, a good load for that, a good node for that is one forty sevens. And I'm using Reloader twenty three, which is like literally unicorn tears right now. It's it's friggin' impossible to come by. Um, yeah, but. Reloader 23 yields excellent velocity out of the PRC, like 147s at 3050, or uh, yeah, 3050 with no pressure signs. At um, what length barrel? 22 uh, inches? 20, well, 24. It was 24. Okay. It was a steel barrel for competition. I, yeah. Um, those are the speeds that I ran um, the first match you and I shot together, that PRC. That's what I ran. It was 3050. I think I want to see, I got a 22 inch barrel, and I think. I think I want to push the 147s at like 2950, yeah, 2900. That's, that's right think, where you I should think that's be. A, yeah, that's yeah. right where you should be. So, um, I, I uh, I'm gonna be doing some testing on neck tension um, with this. I've been I've been talking to uh, a bunch of competitive shooters um, who you know dabbled in F class uh, and uh, you know a couple of things that you brought was brought to my attention was, uh, neck tension and, um, uh, uh, custom throating. And I know this is diving deep into a, 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 a science here, but you know, um, your, your boat tail in relationship to, or your bearing surface in relationship to your neck shoulder junction. Yes. In the case, right. Yeah. There's um, something to be said about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm excited to uh, to to just play with it, right, and find my own truth with it. Because and share so with the, share with you guys. Yeah, the reality of it is, is um, well, if you know, I you, I don't want to steal your thunder, but if I'm looking at this case, I got an LRM case right here. Mm -hmm. 
There's a reason that the neck on this cartridge is long. There's a reason that the neck on the BRA is, or the BR into the BRA is long. Um, that's there for a reason. That's why these cartridges are inherently as accurate as they are. And so mm -hmm. you, you're, you have a case that's designed with a specific idea of a powder uh, burn, basically like how, what kind of powder is going to be used in here and what fill ratio can we expect. And the fill ratio that we expect should technically be um, bow tail bearing surface slash neck shoulder junction. Like that's, and so the unfortunate part about that is that people start seating bullets back into the case because of mag length into issues. The case. Yep. So, so yeah, that's why we run into these weird throat dimensions where people are like, oh, but I have to have this because I can't make mag length. And then it yeah. just becomes, you know, so, uh, so like what free bore are you running, bro? You know, it's like you get that conversation. It's like, brother, come on, man. I'm just, it's, we don't have to, we don't have to do that. Um, load up a dummy round the way that you want the bullet seated. Make sure that they're at least, you know, 20 thou underneath mag length, 30 thou underneath mag length. Try to get bearing surface, uh, boat tail junction, neck shoulder junction seat depth and send it to the gunsmith and have them cut the chamber for it. Yep. Yep. So it doesn't have to be complex. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and a goal for this year uh, out of my competition rifles is to dedicate a bullet to the barrel. Um, dedicate a bullet to the barrel. So like so like if I'm going to run a 6.5 Creedmoor, just dedicate all 135s out of a barrel oh, to, to that see. one barrel. <clears throat> yeah, so I, so I know what the lifespan I'm expected to get out of that, one. that barrel uh, when shooting it into a competition performance right because like yeah. i know what a you know six, like right now I've, I've taken a lot of my 6.5 creed moors that have 140s 147s 139s right i've taken a lot of those out to 3500 plus and they still shoot lights out right mm -hmm. um you know i've shot them in both various competition settings and again training but i'm curious to see now like all right if i'm taking a 135 and i'm running the same load through it does that same does that load last through the whole life of the barrel without mm -hmm. touching my seating die, without touching charge weight. Mm -hmm. If not, where do I, where does it, where does it start to fall apart? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, where to make adjustments? Because I feel like I don't have that data, you right. know, because there was, there's always just been this, try 147s, try 140s, try 135s, try 140 hybrids, right? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, it's it's good because now I know how all those bullets perform. But mm -hmm. I think right now my like, what I want to focus on is like, hey, six creeds going thirty fifty. How long is that going to last? Right. Out of a barrel before shit starts to fall apart. Well, it's gonna. You know what? Let's just let's just continue to revisit this because I'm I've got a six creed barrel that was brand new last uh, last spring. <clears throat> and that's the barrel that I shot with you at the S3. That barrel now has uh, fourteen hundred rounds through it. Oof. All, all of which, all of which are the same one ten A tip. Really, right? it's the exact same load, right? So we are going to just continue to to shoot that thing and figure out exactly where it's at. Matter of fact, let me double check here. Uh. I'm going to find it on my <clears throat> – 
All right, six mil barrel number one. We are at, yeah, fourteen seventy. So I'll probably, Oof. I'll probably figure. I mean, this load shoots so good. Um, it's right at uh, what? Are you still running at like three thousand? Yeah, like twenty nine. Right now, it's twenty nine eighty. And okay, I'm. It is forty point one. Is the is the charge? And this thing, I just shot it recently, and it still shoots like, it still shoots in the point twos with one ten a tips. So, I'm just gonna keep running it um, until, and then I got a I got another one on standby that's already broken in. So, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. Um, what's your charge weight for your one oh eight out of curiosity H forty three fifty out of forty three fifty? Let's see. I'm a, I'm a, I need a, I need to throw a, throw a break in, barrel Thir- break in load. Uh, I, f- I found a good, a good note at 38.4 and that's yielding, uh, okay. that's yielding like 29.50 with 108. Okay. That's exactly what, that's exactly what, uh, Sam, uh, and Jake Miller, uh, Millard use 38.4, 38.5. Yeah. With, so, uh, perfect. With 108s. H43. Yeah, with 108s. Yeah, yeah. H4350. Mm-hmm. Are you jumping those much? Um, 20 thou off. <clears throat> These, I think, might be a little bit deeper, um, but that's usually where I start my develop is 20 thou, 20 thou off, and I start seating mm-hmm. them back in 3 thou increments until I find the middle of the seat depth node. Okay. Yep. So cool. that's, that's also a really – those are two prefit barrels from Proof, too. Um I got those two prefits for our, uh, for the the Archimedes action. Um, oh, I, I forgot to ask. Did you run the BRA and the C four? I did. I did. How'd you like it? I love it. it. Like that's the that's that's it right there. That's that sword is for that mission, right? So that's the way <laughs> that gun's gonna live. So, um, really, I enjoyed it. It was fun. So no but, no ma- no magazine issues. Nope, no man. Um, remember with the remember the C four in oh, Idaho that you that you ran? So frustrating. <laughs> not to Yeah. No, no, it's fine. It just it was that was one of those things where it's like how we got those we got no, those. No, not rifles. to put not yeah, not to put KRG on oh, blast, but like no, that's no, no, I mean no, that's no. that was the point that was the point of us shooting like sh- like like getting the so prototypes prototype. is like, hey, like what what are the what are the points of failure? Hey, yeah, we need work on the magazine well and they fixed it. And yeah. I think it's I think it's probably going to be one of the best on the market because yeah, it's, of the simple fact that there are so many actions, so many uh, um, different types of magazines out there that now you're tolerant, you're, you're, exactly. you're tolerant stacking and things the adjustable magwell is going to uh, fit your, and, and to where your literally rounds are feeding like butter. Yeah. I just did, um, and I, I'm doing that's on an Archimedes, and I'm feeding it with standard AICS mags, with the Primal Rights um, BR spacer kit in there. Nice. And it just took a little bit of tuning, and they run just fine. So, but I've got another Archimedes, man. It's is that the here. is that the Gen two? Yeah, this is the is that is that the, is that the new new. Yeah, this is the newest gen Archimedes, and this is what I'm gonna do. Um, 
uh, the sixth creed that's sitting in a nucleus right now. I'm going to swap that and put it back in an Archimedes. So my two competition, like direct dedicated comp rifles for that game are all going to, they're going to be Archimedes in the C4. Nice. One will be a BR and one will be either a six or a six, five Creed. Cause I've got prefits for them. Awesome. So yeah, man, I'm just, I'm glad we got a chance right, to sit down and, and catch up. Um, this was uh, an excellent little, this is an excellent little session. And I, th- we had a great session last night too, that we're kind of bouncing off of, which is badass. Um, I've got a couple of videos that I'm working on right now, one on scope leveling, and we're going to make a, we're, we're going to hurt more feelings on the social media network talking about recoil management and tripod shooting and um, the use of, of slings and such to stabilize your sight picture and help with recoil management. So uh, we're going to break the trigger cam out and put it on the guns and we're going to show you what we see because we put our money where our mouth is. That's the way it works. Yeah, the trigger cam is just, I mean, it's for—it's almost like now a no-brainer to have it when I'm when I'm out training because um, now I'm able to, like, revisit specific practices be like, well, I broke clean or did I really break clean, right? Yeah. Um, and allows me to look at and break down my processes. And honestly, people... A serious shooters aren't recording themselves enough at matches. And what I, what I mean by that is, is I recorded a couple of the sack guys uh, for their stages and I'd send it to them and they're like, oh my God, I didn't know that I was doing that. Like, dude, like it sounds like, yeah, it's you know, quippy, but like that's the best way to learn about your shooting skill is like have somebody record you that's already shot the stage that yeah. doesn't mind or, or bring a little tripod and record yourself record yourself it takes no extra time and effort other than setting up uh, at a good angle and hitting the record button yeah so no shit it helps it helps uh, a lot yeah man this was good um so i will look forward to hanging out again tomorrow night and um we'll uh we'll be having more conversations on some some more stuff that's down down the way for y'all it's gonna be a good year it's gonna be a lot of fun Yep. So, hey guys, uh, appreciate everyone um, that is uh, tuned into the Modern Day Cyber Podcast. Uh, for everyone that I've seen uh, in March and April, whether it be in class or a precision rifle event, uh, or on social media, asking about being or you know talking about being supporters of the podcast, uh, we love you. We appreciate you, um, and uh, we appreciate. At least I appreciate for sure, and I know Kalen does, uh, you taking the time to introduce yourself. Absolutely. Um, because it means a lot that uh, you guys enjoy our content. We love doing it, um, and we love seeing the progression wherever you're at in your journey of becoming a long-range shooter or modern-day rifleman. So, Hell yeah. Thanks, guys, and you guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Right on. Until next time, guys.